Hi, I'm Mike Nine from I Hate God, and I'm sitting here in Frederick Strag's apartment for an interview. Well, welcome to Stockholm, Hi. Mike. I'm so happy to have you here. I, uh, so your name is Mike Nine. I always thought that it was like Mike the Ninth Williams, because you write it with Roman numbers. So, uh, so why, why the nine? It's the it's, it's the, the it's the biggest digit, like single digit. And it's a holy number in some religions? Well, I, I learned about all the mystical, strange things about that number later on. But um, The nine circles of hell? Yeah, that. I just, that number just kind of manifested itself for me. Like, I would see it a lot, and I just like the way it looks, basically. And uh, I sometimes would just write Mike 9, you know, like, not really thinking about it. But uh, I went to jail um, in, like, I don't know what year it was like 2005, 2006, and uh, my friend started doing this thing, Free Mike 9, and, uh, you know, a few people had been calling me that before, so it just kind of stuck, you know, the Free Mike 9 thing, and I just like the way the Roman numerals look, so there's nothing too deep about it. That's basically it, you know? The music that you make in I Hate God, your, your band is often described as sludge metal. For people who aren't familiar with, with that term what's the difference between like sludge metal and doom metal because they're both both pretty slow kinds of metal i couldn't really tell you the difference because i don't know i mean those are all labels to me and i i really cannot stand the term sludge i think it's kind of silly but i've learned to accept it as that's what people people in journalism especially and other things they have to label types of music so if they want to call us that, we call ourselves hardcore blues. I mean, we just think of it as like, you know, John Lee Hooker meets Black Flag, you know, like, I mean, it's like a modern blues to us. But there's all, there's elements of like doom and stuff that, you know, from other bands that we like that are called that and uh, elements of punk rock. There's some metal noise, you know, a lot of different things go into it. So I wouldn't, I hate to just, nail it down with that one word you know it's a funny word though i googled it mm. turns out that sludge is the residue that accumulates in sewage treatment plants right or a muddy deposit on the riverbed yeah so it's something slow dirty and a bit nasty yeah but it, I it's, mean, a, it's it's a beautiful word like grunge in a way sure i think it comes from that word but like grunge, grunge people grow bored of it i guess sure well especially if your band's called that and you just get <laughs> tired of hearing it but i think it comes from grunge that same type of a word and we it has a lot to do with where we're from i mean there's the mississippi river in new orleans and this, so that's a muddy you know the banks of the mississippi so you know with the sludge thing it's it's just kind of silly to me but i'll t i'll accept it you know but we just call it i just call it rock and roll mostly that's what i think it is I asked the promoter of tonight's show at the Baser if I could pick you up at the club after soundcheck, and he said they don't soundcheck. I hate God. Do not soundcheck. No. And I, I was a bit surprised. The, why, why is that? We just don't need to. I mean, we we do a line check. You know, when we walk out on stage, we'll check the instruments. But uh, we're just not a band that goes up there and plays. You know, three songs before. I mean, it just is what it is. We're. Uh, we can be sloppy sometimes, but that's part of the beauty of it all, you know? Like you were mentioning earlier, dirty or the word that, that means that. We, we uh, accept the filth 
and the uh, and the and the nastiness of our music, and you know we're probably like that too. So, so it's a way of avoiding that the music becomes too polished, in a way, or t- too well, not on purpose. That that's not a conscious thought, but I mean, I guess, I mean, we're tight. You'll see us tonight. We're we're a tight band, but you know, people can mess up, and it's just more real to me. But the reason we don't sound check is probably just because we're lazy. <laughs> we're just we're from we're from America. We're from the South. We're just lazy assholes, you know. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I got nothing to give you. Why don't you just go away? Why Uh, yo, this is Black Flag, uh, No Values is the song. Black Flag was just a band that um, I'm still heavily into, and they've influenced I Hate God very, very much. I mean, some people, you know, they have an album called My War that uh, has one side that's just very slow. People think that's what influenced us. For, for me personally, all of their older stuff influenced me, just the power of that band. And the way they, I mean, they can be slightly a little sloppy sometimes, you know, it's not the most tight thing ever. It's just, it's got some reality to it, if you ask me, you know. So they influenced I Hate God a lot, and I'm still influenced by them. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Besides singing in uh, I Hate God and a bunch of other bands, you've also done yes. spoken word shows and you you read poetry and you put out the book in 2003 called Cancer as a Social Activity. Yes, um, yes. I mean, sometimes the, some songs don't really have lyrics. There's so- songs that are just more uh, speaking in tongues type of thing, you know? 
And that probably came from being uh, an alcoholic and being very drunk a lot of the times and just, you know, reading the lyrics, but them not coming out the way that they sound, you know. So, like, that goes to another band right there. There's a band called The Germs that very much influenced me as well. And Darby Crash, it didn't always sing the words correctly. So I kind of, when that happened to me, I was just like, wow, that's kind of the same thing, you know. So I just went with it, you know. But also the Burroughs cut up thing is a big influence. That's funny when you said that the speaking in tongues thing was influenced by being an alcoholic. I would assume that it was influenced by coming from, like, the south where people speak in tongues in churches <laughs> they do they they do but that stuff scares me those people are insane they they're crazy do religion of all sorts frightens me so i don't do you sometimes improvise on stage yeah sure yeah definitely besides burrows what kind of authors influenced you while growing up did you read a lot yeah of course i've been reading a lot since i was really young um Stuff like, you know, uh, Charles Bukowski, of course, um, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, William Volman, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Kerouac, you know, all those guys, you know, Hunter Thompson, of course, people like that. But then also like Nick Cave's lyrics and his words are like I mentioned, Darby Crash was a very good writer, even though he didn't always pronounce all the words on stage or maybe due to intoxication, but. Yeah, those guys really influenced me a lot too. Clive Barker influenced me in my lyrics. Yeah, even, the, the Hellraiser author. Yes, yeah. He just has some really, really... When I read his books when I was younger, I could just see the images in my head and it made me... It just influenced me. Also, Marvel Comics. N not this new thing now with all the movies is not what I'm talking about. It's the... Back in the 70s, I just read a lot of comic books and that, that imagery and the way they wrote that stuff, it just so which kind of a hallucinatory type of imagery to me. Which comics were your favorites? Uh, Iron Man, Spider-Man, but those, this is back in the 70s. You know, the, I do enjoy the movies, but those don't really inspire me that, in that way. It's become to write. so big yeah. that it's, uh, you know, I, I started watching the entire MC Marvel Cinematic Universe with, sure. my, with my daughter Back in January. Right. And right. we've seen all the movies now, but we're still working on, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, that TV series. series it's yeah. like 140 episodes. Right. I tried to start watching that and I couldn't really get too far. But I read somewhere that, that if someone decides to watch the entire MCU and watches it like one hour a day, that sure. takes a full year. I believe that, yeah. And there's new movies coming out soon as well. But yeah, I mean, the, this is back when in the 70s when comic books were 25 cent. You know, that's when I was, I had an older brother who was into comics and that got me into it. And he was also into, I mean, he read a lot of very dark books, a lot of subject matter that was very dark. And I just kind of picked up on that stuff and I've always enjoyed the darker side of life. You're from North Carolina. I was born there, yes. Okay, but and you grew up in, in New Orleans. I left North Carolina when I was about, uh, I think, 11 years old when my parents had died. So, yeah. What did they work with, your parents? Well, my mom was in a car accident when I was about, uh, I'm not sure, don't even remember the year, maybe 74 or something like that. And then my dad died in 70, in, I think, 76 of like heart failure or something. 
So my brother became my legal guardian, my older brother. I had two older brothers. He became my legal guardian and uh, he took me on, you know, that they, they signed him over and he became, you know, the legal parent. And how many years older than you was, was your brother? About 10 years older, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and, he, uh, yeah, so. And you I were mean, born in 1967, right? Yes. How did you get into music? Uh, I mean, I had two older brothers for one thing. I mean, so I grew up listening to, you know, their records when I was very young. You know, The Who, I was still a huge fan of The Who. I love The Who. Alice Cooper, still a huge, I even think I'm wearing the shirt right now. I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan. Um, you know, The Beatles, Rolling Stones, all the basic stuff, you know. But then I, uh, I discovered this little band called Kiss, you know, and that's when I started finding, oh, Black Sabbath was another one. My brothers had, my middle brother had the uh, Paranoid album and that was really just, that like hit me hard, you know. So you can tell it's still an influence on us. But yeah, so then I found Kiss, you know, which was my own band, you know. This is a song called Deuce by the band Kiss. Um, I think they got big. I'm not sure. I'm, I've heard they got really big. But um, I don't know. This song is just, I think, the first cut on the live album. I'm not sure which version we're hearing right now, but uh, is this a song that a lot of people will say is one of their favorite Kiss songs? I couldn't think of a deep cut off, off the top of my head. Kiss kind of felt like Marvel superheroes in a way. Sure, definitely. I'm sure that was part of the appeal for me, was seeing that. And, you know, like I, as I was into darker things. My brother had a lot of books about the mafia and, you know, John Dillinger and bank robbers and World War II with all that insane stuff going on. So it seemed like I was attracted to darker things. Now looking back on Kiss, it's, it's cartoonish, but at the time... You know, the spitting blood and the uh, some of the lyrics, and it was just dark for me, and I, I like that, you know, so. Also, all those stories about Gene Simmons, that he was not he was not born, he was hatched from an <laughs> right. egg, because he was a demon sure, they snake had a, thing. Well, they did a Marvel comic, you know. What were you like in school? Um, I think I was okay. I don't know. I would get in trouble, but nothing really bad, you know. But I think I, I think after my parents passed away, I started to act out more. Maybe I started getting in a lot more trouble, getting suspended, you know, detentions, and skipping school a lot. 
And what did your big brother say about that since it was your legal guardian? He, I would get in trouble. I mean, he would punish me and make me, I couldn't do anything, you know. It was before I discovered punk rock. So when I discovered that, I would go out and sneak out of the house. But so it was, he would just, you know, I couldn't go swimming or something on the weekend or, you know, something like that. But So he was very strict? He was not very strict, just normal, I would think, you know, I mean. Were you still friends? I haven't talked to him in a long time. He's, I'm not sure if he's even alive. His phone uh, has been cut off like two or three years ago. So I, I haven't talked to him. What about your other brother? He committed suicide about, um, I think it was like a week or two weeks after my dad died. And it wasn't because that my dad died that he did it. He was just, he was messed up with some drug dealers and a bunch of stuff going on in his life. I guess he was very depressed, you know. But then I'm sure my dad dying had something to do with it, but, you know, not sure. You'll never know why someone commits suicide, really. He didn't what, leave a note or anything. What about the rest of your family? Do you have any, like, uncles or people that you... I recently hang on to or um no not really except maybe I say recently but in it seems recently maybe uh eight or ten years ago uh, a cousin of mine found me on Facebook and I ever since then I didn't believe her at first I thought it was just somebody saying that to try to you know just uh fuck with me or whatever but he uh she she, uh, we still stay in touch and she still lives in North Carolina and I visit her once and uh, want to go back and visit her again. So that's really the only family member I'm in touch with. No, no grandparents or anything? Like that. I never even met my grandparents, no. On Instagram, you once shared this old newspaper article from October 1982 right. about how members of the Misfits and their opening act, the Necros, were arrested at the St. Louis Cemetery after a show. Yes. And um, according to one of the arrested kids, the group was looking for the tomb of voodoo queen Marie Laveau. And the article <laughs> says that 15 of those arrested, including members of the Misfits, were adults and were booked with criminal trespass. Yep. Three 16-year-olds, a girl and two boys, yep. were turned over to juvenile authorities. Was that you? That was me. I was one of those 16-year-olds, yes. So you went after a Misfits show to a graveyard to hang with, out? With 20 people, yes which is bound to cause attention, but what did we know? We were, we were kids, you know, you don't care when you're kids. There were some older people there, of course, the misfits and all those people. But we, had, we went to see them in Texas the night before that and then followed them back to New Orleans for their show in New Orleans. And then that night, uh, Glenn Danzig wanted to go see the above ground cemeteries. It was their first time playing New Orleans ever. And he had never seen, you know, we have, because of the sea level and the flooding, we have mausoleums and above ground tombs, you know. They still get washed away though sometimes. But anyway, so yeah, we, we took him there to see that and uh, the cops showed up and that was it, you know. I was a runaway at the time too. So I, I got caught and had to go back home and live with my brother again, which I didn't want to, but. I saw a picture of you from that Occasion where you had like a shaved head? Yes. You yeah. didn't have long hair at that point. No, I was 16 years old. That picture, I may be 15. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was the thing to do back then. 82, hardcore punk kids, you know, 
we all shaved our heads, wore boots and chains on our boots and the black flag t-shirts and whatever, you know? I mean, that was just, it was a fashion thing as far as, you know, it's youth subculture. It was fun. We had a good time. Then six years later in 1988, you joined I Hate God. Yep. Because you, you were the second singer, right? Someone else was... There was a guy that did two rehearsals. Oh. So he doesn't really count, but he did think of the name of the band. I, we, none of us thought of the name of the band. He thought of it, and he had this whole concept behind it, which I can't even... We made up our own things about it, but uh, he had originally called it The I Hate God, kind of like The Pink Floyd on the spine of one of the records. It says that, but... Uh, Yeah. And he's the one who spelled it with E-Y-E. Yes. It's had something to do with the way you see uh, your vices, you know, like sex, drugs, gambling, you know, mostly drugs, I would say, and things like that, how you see them, and those become your God, and you become addicted to that, so you hate, you know, that was... I'm grasping here, though, because that was his explanation, and it's been years since. So it was inspired by, like, drug abuse more than, like, hatred towards organized religion, in a way. Yeah, I mean, not drug abuse. None of us had abused any drugs at the time. I mean, we were using, of course, different things, you know, you know, testing things out when you're young like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always hated organized religion, you know, since I was a child. So that, for me, that was in there personally, in the name. Were, were either of your parents religious in any way? Yeah, they. that's what mainly turned me off to religion to begin with, with is that they would, uh, you know, my dad would, uh, he would beat us up on, on, you know, during the week or smack me around or something like that. And then on Sunday, he would go to church and be, you know, super... He was a super Christian then, you know, and uh, he would sing along with all the songs and all that. And I just hated that. And then we'd go home and he would get drunk and, you know, smack us around again. What what kind of a church was that? Uh, It was actually called the Church of the Nazarene, which I don't even know. I don't even know. A lot of people, when I tell them that, they go, what is that? I I, I I think of that metal band, Impaled Nazarene. (laughs) Right, right. right. Impaled Nazarene, Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I just know that they made me wear a suit, made me go there, and then come home, and my dad was just the complete opposite of what Christians are supposed to be. And did your mother try to, like, defend you when he was beating you up? I'm sure she did. Uh, I don't remember all that, but, I mean, he would hit her too, so same thing. But I I don't think I ever believed in God, you know? I don't think in my life. There wasn't a time when I actually, I mean, I was questioning it, questioning it, and then it was just like, no, there's no such thing as God, you know? So the name of the band does have that appeal for me. I love to hear the entire crowd with like a thousand people in the audience screaming, I hate God, because it's just, it's brilliant to me. I think that's brilliant. This is uh, Impaled Nazarene, which I thought was just fitting for the conversation that we were just having about my uh, childhood. And uh, the song is called Blood is Thicker Than Water. Yeah. 
on your Wikipedia page, there are a few quotes from reviews describing your voice. And they, they, they describe your voice as a tortured laryngitis scream or mm -hmm. indecipherable rantings and yes. the utmost sickening puke-ridden audio atrocities <laughs> that could actually prove deadly if taken in large doses. That's fantastic. D do you have any vocal exercises to, to get that voice or does it just come naturally to you? No, no. I mean, I've never taken lessons or anything. I mean, I don't know why anybody would think I did, but no, I've just, I've been in bands since I was 15. So I've been screaming in hardcore punk bands and, and punk bands and then thrash metal bands after that. And I've just always, like I said, I've been doing it since I was 15. So I think it just comes naturally, you know. And your voice has always held up. You've never had like... Yeah, I mean, I've lost it for with like, you know, a cold, a chest cold or something. You lose your voice a little bit from screaming, but uh, it's always held up. It's always been fine. The first track on your classic album, Dope Sick, is called My Name is God, I Hate You. Yes. And it starts with the sound of glass being shattered and then you hear this awful scream. And supposedly it's because you hurt yourself with that broken glass. Well, the scream's not from hurting myself. Oh. The scream was on purpose. I did the scream as part of the... That was going to be. That's the intro to the album. So that's what we were doing that for. I just I had this. Uh, <clears throat> there was a, a garbage can with some bottles already in it, and I just started taking other bottles and smashing them in the garbage can. And we were recording, you know. And I just started screaming in the mic, you know. And uh, but during the course of recording that with the screaming and glass, uh, I cut my hand open, and it started bleeding everywhere. And uh, it dripped all over the studio floor and our drummer, Joey Lacaz, rest in peace, he uh he took something and and took the blood and wrote like helter skelter on the floor <laughs> with the blood. And we just left. We that was the last thing of the night. So we all went home to come back the next day and record. And we found out that uh the guy who ran the studio called our record label and wanted us out of there. And it just thought, I think he wrote Kill the Pigs as well. It was a bunch of Manson stuff. But uh, the guy freaked out really bad. And uh, he let us stay, but uh, I think we were almost done with the record. So, you know. But uh, hurting yourself in the studio has not been something that you've done a lot, like to create a sinister atmosphere or whatever. Um, no, that was the only time we did that oh. for a, uh, um, an intro. I mean, I've hurt myself on stage a lot, but that's a whole different thing, you know? In what way? Just being chaotic and um, care reckless and careless and just, you know, uh, and cutting my face and stuff and cutting myself and punk rock stuff, you know? <laughs> Influenced once again by, you know, Sid, Vicious, Darby Crash, Stiv Baders. G.G. Allen. Not so much? No, no. I was into all that stuff before I even heard of Gigi Allen, you know? I mean, I do like some of his music, but I don't know. He took things a sort of way that it's it's entertaining and it's humorous to me. It's funny, but I don't know. It was just, I liked it when it was, you know, the early 80s punk rock thing. I mean, I, I guess I, he was around back then, but no one had heard of him. I, I quite can't. I quite like the Jabbers, his first yes, group, because they yeah. have really, really good songs. That's a good, a good yeah. album, yeah. 
He did some stuff with Wayne Kramer, too, from the MC5 that was good. So, you know, he's got a bunch of good songs. There's an album called Freaks, Faggots, Drunks, and Junkies. And my friend played on that album. They're in a band called Psycho, but they backed him up on that album as under a different name. And that's a really good album. It's really raw. He had kind of discovered, I think, Black Flag and that newer hardcore stuff. So it sounds more, it's just really raw and heavy, you know, to me. But I didn't like the, you know, defecating on stage is not anywhere I want to. I've seen him live. We opened for Gigi before. And uh, there was just a lot of fights, you know. One time he threw his, his defecation, but I was already out the door way before he did that. So, you know, people go just to see what would happen. So, But yeah, mine was more of like, I don't know. I just liked the way it felt on stage, you know. just I really don't, I mean, I might punch myself or something, but I don't, I don't cut myself anymore or do anything like that. You know? Did you end up in the hospital at any point? Uh, I have. I've gotten stitches many times, yeah. In the 90s, you used to work for a music magazine called Metal Maniacs. Yes, Metal Maniacs. And do you still write about music at all? I haven't in a while, no. you know. Um, yeah, I got that job. I, I used, uh, I lived in Brooklyn for about three and a half years. And um, I was seeing a girl that lived up there. So I moved there. And she worked at that magazine and she got me a job there writing and I ended up as the associate editor. I don't know how, but and then it fell apart after that. But yeah, I interviewed tons of people and wrote record reviews and we were bringing more underground things to this. It was a, like a grocery store magazine that you see in the grocery stores, you know, like markets. And did that work out with the publishing house? No, that's one reason it fell apart is because we were putting tons of underground bands in there. We were the first people to do black metal in that magazine, the Melvins, anti-scene, you know, bands no one had ever heard of. It wasn't just, you know, they wanted us to do more features on like Megadeth and Anthrax. And I hate that. I, those two bands are awful to me. I can't stand those bands. So we refuse to write stuff about that, you know, because that you write about those bands, they pay for bigger advertising and it's all about fucking advertising, you know? So, and we didn't go for that. So we kind of destroyed it while we were there, but we got fired from it, both of us. And uh, they, they came back with like some corny guy doing it again and it was all back to the just the cheesy metal stuff after that what kind of artists did you interview uh mick harris from scorn casper bratzman um jesus um kevin sharp from brutal truth jeff clayton from anti-scene dylan carlson from earth uh lots of people it's hard to remember all of them but those guys do you sometimes miss that work Yeah, I mean, I love, it was great when being there for like a year or so. It was, uh, maybe it was there longer than that. I'm not sure. But yeah, I liked it, you know. I didn't like it being a corporation structure because I would just go in there wearing what I normally would wear then, you know. I had dreadlocks and just like, I don't think these people really liked me there. But I still just, I wrote the articles. I got paid for it. I even, you know, got photographs and they published those and stuff and they'd pay me for it. It's like a freelance type of thing, really, but I was on the masthead of the magazine, so it was cool. I, I, then after that, years later, I did do write for websites and some zines 
and things, but I started thinking like, um, I started feeling bad if I said a band was terrible. Not not like Megadeth or Anthrax because they're huge and they're also corporations, you know. But I, if I, like some simple smaller band, I didn't like their band and I gave them a bad review, I would feel really empathetic and guilty about that. And I would just be like, I can't trash this band. They're just starting out. You know, I, I, everybody starts somewhere, you know, so. But you've never been in a fight for something that you wrote? Um, n- no, maybe arguments, but not like a fist fight or anything. The woods eats the woman and dumps her honey body in the mud. Yeah, uh, this is a song by Nick Cave's, well, it's not his actual first band, but his early band, uh, The Birthday Party. A huge influence on me, Nick Cave, and this band particularly. I love his older, his newer stuff uh, as well. But um, I don't know. This song is just really, uh, it's 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 just really good to me. She stumbled in some time, last loneliness, but I could not stand to touch her now. My one and onlyness Deep in the woods Deep in the woods Deep in the woods It's weird how the, the chords in that song kind of sound like Einstein and the Neu about them. I guess he was influenced by them at that point. Yeah, um, I wonder. I R- mean, maybe he, that was before they met. I'm, I'm not sure. He did it, move it was to before Berlin. They met. Yeah. yeah, he moved to Berlin, and Blixa ended up in the band. You know, so I don't know. I think the, those to me are like almost Sabbath chords. Like it's got the doomy sound. That's probably why I like it so much. It's super dark and uh, yeah, and it's just a descending pattern of like sadness. You know, it just sounds depressing and sad, and I love that. Deep in the woods of funeralist swing Now the killed waits for the Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A friend of mine went to see... Pantera when they played at the Hultsfred Festival here in Sweden back in 1995 and Phil Anselmo was wearing an I Hate God t-shirt on stage. Yes. That was, you know, how a lot of people here discovered your band. Sure. Because yeah, Phil that's, Anselmo was that's fine, really yeah. talking about it. Right. But he's an old friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. He, he's done that for a lot of bands. You know, he's worn, he's, he's took us out on tour. We did two months with Pantera and White Zombie in the 90s which were gigantic, huge shows, and people didn't know what to think of us at all. But, um, I mean, he did that with Anal Cunt and Neurosis and Soylent Green, a lot of bands. But, um, yeah, I, I went to the same school as Phil, but didn't actually know him then. My friends knew him, a couple of my friends that were into... He was into, like, glam rock then. Yeah, because Pantera was basically like a hair metal band in the beginning, right? And he had a band before that uh, called Razor White, where they did a lot of cover songs, but I, th I think they had originals as well. They were hair metal type stuff, you know, which I was into at one time. Not the look, but like the music, you know. I still love Motley Crue. You know, I still love uh, some of those bands. Twisted Sister, the old stuff, I really like. They're not, I don't know if you'd call them that, but yeah, so he went to the school. I had friends that knew him. I ended up meeting him. He started going to punk shows, hardcore shows. And uh, I actually met him at a Megadeth show. This is back when Megadeth wasn't anything yet, though. They played at a small club. And um, Phil was there, and we started talking. I had a fanzine at the time, and I gave him a copy of that. And I would see him at different places, you know. I would go see local metal bands sometimes, and he would go see local punk and hardcore bands. So we'd see each other. And we realized we had a lot of friends in common. And, you know, then I guess like 90-something, I'm not sure what year that was. Maybe it was 89 or 90. He uh, got the job for Pantera and he moved to Texas, you know. But he came back not long after that and bought a house and stuff. So, yeah, we've, we've been friends a long time. And he was your, like, replacement in I Hate God when you had some health issues. He to, has, to say, yes. Six years ago. He oh. has done that. Also, uh, Randy Blythe, right? Randy from, Blythe did the from uh, Lamb of God. From Lamb of God, yeah. He's an old friend as well. He used to come to. I, I remember Randy when he was this little kid coming to I Hate God shows in Richmond, Virginia, and like begging us to sing. We had an instrumental we used to do called God Song, and Randy would ask to sing over the instrumental because I didn't have vocals in that song. So he would. We you know, that's how we met Randy, and he was this band Buzz Oven that we toured with. He was friends with those guys. But yeah, he uh, he filled in on the Discharge tour. I hit God toured with Discharge, and I was actually in the hospital at the time. So and You had a liver transplant? Yes, I did. That, that's yeah. a very dangerous kind of surgery. Yeah. Yeah, I was told that it could not work, you know, but it was... Uh, uh, it was either die one way or the other. I'd rather die trying than not trying at all, you know, so... Uh, how did you find a donor? 
Was it some some I hate God fan who? No, no, no. no. There would there would be people writing the Facebook. I was very private about it at first. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want anyone to know. But then my wife uh, published this thing because we did start a GoFundMe. We had to at some point because for a new liver, basically. For the every yeah, for the liver and just the hospital stays and the medication. I mean, that's America's notorious for you know just ripping people off who were dying. So we had to ask for outside help. So, but people would write and say, "Yeah, I've got a liver. You can have mine." And I'm just, or I don't know. Well, you're lucky to be a, like, like a, a famous rock star because otherwise, maybe uh. you wouldn't have gotten a new liver. Well, it was all done locally. I mean, the, the, as far as the liver goes, that was done through the hospitals. It yeah. had nothing to do with I Hate God or fans or anything. No, but I mean, people donated money. Oh, the so money, can, yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Sure, yes. Yes, that was uh, overwhelming. Like, I couldn't believe how many people helped us and how many people wanted me around still. You know, it was pretty amazing. But how much do you need to drink to, you know, need a new liver? Oh, a lot. Yeah. I was drinking around probably 2000. I always drank a lot since I was like 13. I started drinking beer and whiskey, you know, smoking weed and stuff, marijuana. And I started doing that. And, uh, you know, that always, uh, for me, it graduated up to, you know, doing a little cocaine here and there. And um, by like 2000, it's before that probably, but I was drinking like, you know, a giant bottle of vodka, like maybe two every day by like 2011. I was touring with another band that I did called Corrections House and I Hate God. I would tour with I Hate God, go to Corrections House tour, then go back to the, I Hate, you know, so it was back to back touring with those two bands and I was just drinking my way through it. And um, I've also, you know, uh, used a lot of drugs, a heroin shooting up cocaine and things like that you know that doesn't help your liver at all so yeah pretty much destroyed it you know but I didn't care at the time at the time there's been a lot of times in my life when I didn't want to live at all I didn't really care you know just if I died I died it wasn't a big deal but after that experience and uh just the whole thing and, you know, then science saving me, you know, the way science saved me, doctors that are amazing doctors, I, I started enjoying life. I wanted to live more, you know. So I hate God started touring uh, four months after my surgery. I was on the stage four months later and we haven't, we stopped, of course, because of the pandemic, but. As you said before, it seems as if a lot of, you know, there were problems like this in your family before you arrived, right? Yeah, yes. If you... My dad was an alcoholic for sure, and I've heard stories that my grandfather was, and, you know, my mom drank, and, you know, so definitely genetic stuff going on there. How, how much, like, do you think that you were affected by the whole, like, punk rock, debauchery, yeah. romantic thing? Was, was it... Um... Definitely. Did, did you like almost make a conscious decision to become more like seditious at some point? Sure. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like bringing up Darby again, you know, he killed himself, you know, and uh, Sid died, you know, as well. Just uh, 
I mean, I wouldn't have admitted it back then, but now I'm honest about all that. You know, it was definitely a punk rock thing, just being nihilistic and not giving a fuck. And, and, but I really felt that way. I really didn't care, you know. It's, you start getting older, though, and you learn more, and the more you learn, the more you see, and then something like that happens to you, you, you kind of embrace life and start to enjoy it, you know. And now you don't drink anything. I have some wine occasionally. Yeah. My doctor even said that's fine. You know, I saw my doctor about a month ago and he said I'm in incredible health and uh, it made me very happy. So he said I'm doing great. He, he, I didn't even look the same to him because I looked, I was really sick, you know, when I was in the hospital for before the surgery. So that was cool. And yeah, he said a glass of wine here and there's nothing... You know, I mean, I could go off the deep end and have a shot or something, but that's, you know, I feel bad about that. I don't do that often at all. Do you go to like AA meetings or anything? No, no. I have. I have before. Um, I've been in NA, Narcotics Anonymous, AA, all of them, CA, Cocaine Anonymous. I've been in all those. It's weird though, because if you're anti-religion, some of those drug therapies kind of remind you of... You know, it's, well, it's yeah. almost like a religious faith. That's why I don't go to them. I mean, I tried them and I tried them partly for my own self and then also because some of them were court ordered <laughs> because oh. I've been in trouble so many times. I just, uh, they would make you go to NA and AA. So if you get busted for drugs, you know. Last year, you jumped out of an airplane wearing a parachute. Yes. Are, are you trying to find... Other ways to reach that adrenaline rush that drugs used to give you before? Probably, yeah, yeah, probably. That was a uh, that was a lot of fun, man. That was really <laughs> exciting. I definitely want to do that again as soon as I can. But yeah, I'm sure. You know, I think that happens to a lot of people. They get, you know, I'm not going to say I'm clean and sober because you know, but um, that is another adrenaline rush, like you said. You know. Was it difficult to stay clean during the pandemic? Because I, I think it was like Jay and Silent Bob who once said that boredom is the first step on the road to relapse. I mean, that definitely is is a, a trigger, being bored. And I think I drank maybe three or four times during the whole two years. I'm not going to say I didn't have like a, a pharmaceutical uh, pill here and there, but... Uh, I've done that, you know. That's... A, ph a pharmaceutical pill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know, Xanax or uh, oxycodone or oh, something okay. like that, you know. Yeah. Occasionally. So that's why I won't say I'm, you know, clean and sober. Early one morning while making the round. I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down Went right home and I went to bed I stuck that loving 44 beneath my head Got up next morning and I grabbed my gun I took a shot of cocaine and away I run Made a good run but I run too slow He overtook me down in war is Mexico Late in the hot joint uh, this is a song called Cocaine Blues, and it's uh, an old song. I'm not even sure who did it first, but Johnny Cash did it. A bunch of other people did it. Uh, I think Woody Guthrie did it. A bunch of people I'm seeing right here looking at this list. 
So uh, this is just my friend uh, Shelton, Hank 3, as he's known by, and uh, it's just a great version of the song. And he's the grandson of the legendary country singer, Hank Williams. Yeah, Hank Williams Sr. How did you two become friends? Just met him through, uh, well, actually, I went to go see him. I saw him on television. You know, I was always, always, always interested in that family, you know, the, 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 the Hank Williams family. You know, I love Hank Williams Sr. The music's fantastic. Not so much Bocephus, Hank the second one, Jr. I'm not a big fan of that guy, but... Uh, Anyway, so he, I saw him on television on a talk show doing a live song, and he's wearing a black flag shirt. And I had heard about him being into punk rock and stuff because he had a band called uh, F-U-C-T, I think they were called, in, in Nashville. So anyway, he came down and played his country stuff at this small bar. There was like 30 people there. And afterwards, I went up to him and said hi. And he goes, he was immediately, immediately just, uh, he knew who I hate God was. And Shauna from White Zombie was there that night as well, so she came up talking. So he was, he immediately was in love with New Orleans because, you know, everybody loved him so much there. And so that's pretty much how we met, you know. Last year, you put out your latest album, The History of Nomadic Behavior. Mm -hmm. How much do you feel like a nomad? Very much so. I mean, for a long, long time. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I don't even have an apartment right now because uh, or a place to stay. I mean, I'll have a place to stay at a hotel or something when I get back to New Orleans, but I just didn't want it. We're touring so much this year. And the pandemics, you know, is is what it is. I don't, you know, hopefully it'll stay away. But um, I just, I didn't want to pay rent on a place that I'm not going to be at. Are you still married? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And she goes with you on tour? No. Or, no. 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 Wives don't come on tour. No. They don't? No. <laughs> Why not? We're at work. We're working. I mean, this is... People think that touring is like partying and yeah, there's a time for that after, you know, but this is, uh, it's just what we do for a living. You know, you don't, you don't want to have to worry about someone being there. When a history of nomadic behavior came out, you mm -hmm. had a release party and there was a lot of reports about the adult film actress Stormy Daniels supposedly right. signing up for selling merch yes. at your release party. One of the most unexpected stories of last year. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, but but she, she was an old friend of yours. She's not an old friend of mine, but I, I've met her. And, um, and she, she, she's oh, into the bands from New Orleans. She lives in Baton Rouge, which is like an hour away from New Orleans. Oh, New Orleans, sorry. Um, I believe she's living there. She's from there. Maybe she was just born there. But so she's into like Acid Bath and I Hate God and Crowbar and all these bands, you know. So uh, 
I don't really know how that happened, but someone in my band asked her if she would do merch for the show. And she said yes, because she's a fan. And did she do it? The show ended up getting canceled because of COVID. Oh. So when we rescheduled it, she was already booked for something else. So it didn't end up happening, which is... And she, of course, became very famous for her relationship with Donald Trump and him yeah. trying to bribe her into not saying anything about what happened. Yes, yeah. Since she had such great musical taste, I wonder if she you know, made him listen to any <laughs> good things. Uh, I doubt it. But she but was into Pantera as well, right? I'm sure she is, yeah. I think she said yeah. somewhere that she had had sex um, next to the drum kit at a Pantera show. Oh, really? Yeah. That sounds, it's probably true. I wouldn't be surprised. Not a shocker there. Your book, Cancer as a Social Activity, was subtitled Affirmations of World's End. Yeah. How do you feel about the future of the human race? It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. I'm, I'm here for the ride, but I mean, it's looking really... It, I was just talking about this with my band the other day. Just, uh, yeah, these kids that are being born right now, I don't have kids and I don't want to bring kids into this world at all. I have a godchild and that's enough. It's, you know, she's grown up now, but... Uh, Anyway, yeah, these kids today, I think, are uh, in for in for something, man. Unless they can get together and change things, which is always, you know, you always want that to happen. You want there to be hope, but I mean, you know, there's. I could just start listing political things that are happening, but I'm not going to do that. It's just looking bleak. I mean, a lot of things are looking bleak. You still sound less pessimistic than you used to. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I've always wanted to have hope. You know, I'll even when I've been locked up in jail or something like that, I've always wanted there to be hope, you know. But sometimes there's just not, you know. But, I mean, there, it's it's hard to find sometimes, but, you know. You famously once said, being human is being a failing bacteria, and ultimately it will destroy itself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I still think that. I think humans are just bacteria on this planet. And I mean, I mean, there's there's trillions of other planets out there with life. I think it, you would have to be, and I'm nothing personal to you, but you would have to be crazy if you didn't think there was life somewhere else. If you think this is the only planet with life, that's just stupid. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, that's these Christians, though, and these fundamentalist people that that think this is the only place in the entire universe with life. You know, but uh, so I think human, the earth is just another, humanity is just another, it's just here on just happened to, just happened on this planet and we're just like a bacteria. We're destroying the whole planet, you know, and we'll eventually just eat it away and we're killing each other and, and wars and everything else. So Speaking of destroying the planet, how much do you think about climate change if you live in like the American South or New Orleans with all the hurricanes and stuff? I totally believe that it's changing. Uh, it's unbelievable that someone could say it's not real. But it's, it's, totally so, it's so strange that the people who are, you know, really, really affected by climate change in the U.S. Mm -hmm. will not vote for politicians who care about that. The South is is backwards, very, very backwards. I mean, ninety percent of the South is backwards. Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana—it's all are all Republican states. 
and it's ridiculous. New Orleans is the is that's why we're proud to be from New Orleans. It's the it's a liberal city in a state, a red state, you know? It's a very liberal city. I mean, there's a lot of people there, a lot of artists, a lot of people who think smart, you know? And uh yeah, I don't know. These people vote for these stupid Republicans, man. The 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 rest of the state, you know, and most of the South. You got into some serious trouble during Hurricane Katrina. What what happened then? Oh, um well, I, it I wasn't I didn't leave town during the hurricane. The hurricane was, you know, it came and it passed. But the neighborhood the neighborhood I was in um it did not flood. So all the other neighborhoods where people had lost their homes and were just wandering, they came to the area I lived in, so which is called the Lower Garden District uh, of New Orleans. And um, people just came in the neighborhood and started robbing people and all the stores were getting looted and all these things. So uh, I joined in the looting, you know. I went to get batteries and, and candles and things for that you need, food, you know, because nothing was open. The, and, and while looting the uh, the store, one of them was a drugstore, so I just helped myself to pharmaceuticals, lots of them, lots and lots of them. <laughs> and uh, What kind? Oh, I mean, everything. Hydrocodone, Valium, Xanax, uh, Loraset, methadone, uh, fentanyl, you name it, cough syrup. I mean, just not, I mean, opiate cough syrup, uh, tons of stuff. Amphetamines, just everything. The people that were in there looting it with me didn't know what the names meant, but I knew all the pharmaceutical names, you know, like Alprazolam is Xanax and Diazepam is this. And so I, I was just grabbing all the good stuff while they were grabbing antibiotics and stuff, which I didn't need. But yeah, so anyway, I had a car, um, started driving out of town. I, I acquired a car, I'll say, and started driving out of town and um, got caught in another city and searched and uh, that was it. Went to jail. For how long? 92 days, I think. Wasn't that long when you think about it, but... Um, and I had to pay a lot of money, though, a lot of fines, a lot of things like that. Lawyers, I had to get a lawyer. And you had to go cold turkey behind behind bars, I of suppose. Of course. And how, yeah. what was yes. that like? The worst thing on earth to, to kick stuff like that, opiates and Xanax and things in jail. It's horrible. I probably didn't eat for a couple of weeks. I finally started soaking bread in water just to get something down, you know, so it was, it was awful, but, uh, but I did it, you know, so it's not the first time I've kicked drugs, but. Was it the last time you kicked drugs? Um, <laughs> probably not. I don't have a, a calendar in front of me, but. Even before Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, you, you wrote, if New Orleans is the big easy, why is life so fucking hard? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and... Uh, you, you also have a song called New Orleans is the New Vietnam. What, sure. What inspired that title? Um, that started out, I guess, is from Katrina, like the way the chaos that was going on. Like I said, all these people coming into my neighborhood and robbing and looting and people were dying and stuff. People were, women were getting raped. It was fucking awful. 
It was like The Walking Dead, but it was just after the hurricane. It was like that TV show. Like that's how people were just fending for themselves any way they could. It's just survival, you know? So, but then there was a lot of crime going on and terrible things. So that's where that title came from, New Orleans, New Orleans is New Vietnam. But now the crime there is like at its all-time high right now. New Orleans is really bad right now. There's just a lot of carjackings and people getting shot. And it's, we have a mayor right now that's not doing a great job. And the police force people are quitting. And we think we, we only have, it's a pretty big city for, it's like 400,000 people maybe, 350, 400,000 people. Big, small city, you know, but, uh, and there's only like 400 cops or something. There's, n there's not a lot of police. The police are quitting and, and not doing their jobs. They're corrupt. The government's corrupt. The courts are corrupt. The lawyers, the judges. So. Is it true that you were once banned from entering New Orleans? That is true. That you couldn't like cross the state line or the city? Yes, that is true. I lived on the North Shore, which is across this 26-mile-long bridge uh, in a city called Folsom. But I still had court dates in New Orleans. So part of the stipulation of getting out of that, uh, of all the settlement for all the things, you know, I had, I broke, I was on probation. I had broke my probation for doing something stupid and um, getting arrested again. But... Um, so part of the, the, the uh, rules for, for getting out of that trouble was to not come into New Orleans for a year. So, oh, no, actually it was longer than that. But it was how the did, same how, time as my probation, so it was five years. But how did they enforce that? They could Did people have like a, your picture in like a cop no, car? Or no? They could care less. They didn't know. I came in like two days later. They didn't know. They don't know. Those cops are so they're not focusing on somebody like me. They don't give a shit, you know? So, yeah, I came back, you know, a couple of days later and played a show. I hate God played. You had this other project called Outlaw Order that yes. put out your debut EP called Legalized Crime yeah. back in 2003 right. when supposedly all five members were on probation. <laughs> is, that, is that true? I'm not sure exactly how true that is. But uh, I was, for sure, and our bass player was. It was basically I Hate God without Jim. It was like, and we had a, a, another bass player, and Gary played guitar. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, there's, there's some artistic license in there, for sure. This is uh, one of my bands that I've had through the years. It's called Outlaw Order. And uh, this song is called Relive the Crime. And it's, uh, I guess, pretty self-explanatory.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How much do you see Phil Anselmo these days? Not much. No. No, haven't seen him in a while. But he posted bail when you got arrested and he has really helped you a lot. Yeah, yeah. He has. He's been a good friend, you know. Have he's you sp- gotten in some trouble himself with his mouth, but, you know, he's... Yeah, like, I know he's been famously cancelled. Yes. For, uh, like, screaming white power on stage. Yeah. You changed one of your song titles to remove the N-word. Yes. A few years back. Yes, we did. Was that after what happened to Phil or was it before it? Uh, it was after... Just because, I mean, things are different now and times have changed. But we never meant that. I wrote that. I mean, that's that song doesn't even have real lyrics. It doesn't. It's just mostly nonsensical words. So it doesn't mean anything. But the, the reason I wrote that title, I actually stole that title from a band called The Avengers. They have a song with that same title. And... Um, yeah, using that word was stupid. It was dumb, you know, but it was a shock value thing. And it also, to me, meant that its song's called White N-Word. And um, to me, that meant that we're all a part of this outcast, low-class society that we're all being well, shit on by everyone else. And I include myself with black African-American population. And that's basically the same theme as Patti Smith's rock and roll N-Word, right? Yes, yeah, I mean, that was part of the idea. And it was, you know, of course, there's a little shock value there. But uh, I realized later that that's stupid. And I'm white, so I've had privilege whether I know it or not, you know. I've I've always been a poor white person. I've never been rich. I don't have a lot of money now. I just, uh, and I've always lived in neighborhoods with poor, other poor people of every race, you know. So I just, it was including myself with with poor people and outcast and downtrodden people but i now realize that i'm not i'm probably treated different for just because i am white 
and I'm sure black people have it a lot worse than me. So but some do. Some, yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that that's the whole story behind that, you know. So we we changed it when you know everything started uh, going down. Black Lives Matter and everything. We don't want to be part of that. Uh, have people insulted by that or anything. There's many black people that have come up to me and said that's their favorite song, and they love that we stood up for them and said something like that with that do, title. Do you think it's good though that you know it's nearly impossible to? use like right-wing imagery to provoke people you know it's not as if someone could wear a swastika like seditious did sure. and get away with it you know that artist would be banned for life nowadays yeah. yes um, but in in the early days of punk rock i mean it was that was shock value and uh i've heard it explained by Susie sue saying like she wore that it was like kind of bringing it taking it back or something but they also wanted to offend older people and in britain of course they had been bombed by nazis you know so it meant a whole different thing but that was a part of punk rock in those days Influ uh, i'm not influencing uh, offending people one of my favorite bands is turbo negro from norway sure and they, they had some trouble a few years back when some bloggers wanted them to change their names oh really I didn't yeah, hear from about from that. Turbo Negro because you know they had like Negro in their band name. Sure, um, sure, of course. And I I suggested that they change their name to what they used to be called. You know, their very first band name was Nazi Penis. Okay, that's still <laughs> a great band name, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that would work either, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and they used the uh, I don't know if it was the band themselves, but the Jugend. So Turbo Youth or tur Turbo Jugend and all that stuff. So I don't, I don't know if they created that or their fans did. But um, yeah, I mean, the imagery, it just doesn't fly anymore. It just can't. And it wasn't cool back then either. But when, you know, I was a 14-year-old kid, you think like, that's, oh, that's going to that's gonna piss off some people. You know, you're not thinking of anything else. But as you get older and like I have and, and, and realize that that's just, it's just silly and stupid and... We changed the name. Are you planning any more books? Of course, yes. I've got probably two, at least two poetry books written. Editing them takes so long, being on tour all the time. And, you know, uh, I try to get things done, but, you know, yes, I want to. And people have offered to help me do a biography as well of my life and the band, you know. So yeah, I mean, I want to get those going at some point. I think I have to get going and get back to the venue for the uh, show tonight. Well, Mike, thank you for coming here, but I'm not going to I'm not going to let you go before you've read one of your uh, poems. Would you mind doing that, please? Uh, I guess I guess I could. Um, let me see. Um, well, I've got this. Some of this stuff's not edited, and it probably will change in the future. But and uh, well, here it goes. Uh, Bottles and bodies thrown directly at the bullseye. It's a ragdoll existence, the drag doll persistence. I live down the street with the ones that you doubt. 
My lizard brain tells me what's now unwashed upon this shore. Wow, my, my, my lizard brain tells me that's a really beautiful <laughs> oh, thank you, man. poem. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. coming here. Thanks for this interview, man. It's been great. Den här podcasten producerades av Daniel Bäckström och Anders Hillander. Mike Nine Williams från I Hate God var hemma hos Dragen. <laughs>